Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
Amen. And thank you, praise team. Thank you, Brian, for opening us up in worship this morning. It is good to be with you uh, online today as we continue to uh, be in this uh, safe period of, of uh, social distancing and worshiping online. We look forward to uh, getting back together again. Hopefully in February we can open some things back up uh, uh, again. So be in prayer for that and continue to be safe at home. Uh, deacons, we're not meeting today. You should have got a text uh, and uh, uh, letting you know we're going to meet next Sunday after the worship service. We uh, needed an extra week to get the end of the year reports done, so that's the reason for that. But uh, next Sunday we will have our deacons meeting after the morning worship service. Also, I don't know of a better way to start out the uh, new year as a church than to actually have a decision uh, on that first Sunday that... Uh, uh, excites the church and this morning we have a decision uh, to, to make public and uh, to let you know about. We've got uh, one of our praise team members that's been playing with us for a while, uh, uh, Byron Turnbow. Uh, I've told you all, I, I used to babysit Byron when he was a little guy. I know we look so much in age. I know we look, you know, like we could be twin brothers, but... <laughs> But anyway, I, I, it goes all the way back to, to years ago when we were at First Baptist and, and lived in the same subdivision together. And uh, anyway, I've known Byron for a long, long time. And he is uh, coming to our church by way of letter uh, from his former church. And uh, all in favor by spirit, would you just say in your heart, amen. And we're glad to have Byron uh, uh, with us as, as a member now. Uh, and uh, so look forward to getting back together and you guys getting to know him uh, in, in, in a more personal way. We are also continuing to take up for Lottie Moon. I think we got right at $6,000 uh, of our goal. Our goal is $15,000, and uh, we're going to continue to uh, take that up through January. We might actually go into February because of uh, being out for COVID. But uh, we have a video for those of you at home that uh, tells you a little bit more about what your gift to Lottie Moon does and, and how it's being used. So. Uh, enjoy that, and then on the other side of the video, we'll have a word of prayer. It's coming. Did I not put the video on there? Okay, I did not put the video on that computer. I will put the video on Facebook later today. How about that? <laughs> but uh, there is a, see, you need to give it a lot of moon because we couldn't afford a video today. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd put that video on there. I blew it. Oh, well. Uh, well, let's have a word of prayer. We'll open up our worship and uh, uh, do give it a lot of moon. All right. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for your love and your grace. And we thank you for Byron as he joins with our church in membership and uh, Lord, we begin to plug him in. He's already been plugged in, helping us out in our praise team. We're thankful for that. Look forward to getting to know him better uh, as a church family. And Lord, we do pray for uh, the missionaries that uh, we think about during this Lottie Moon a season of giving. And we want to, uh, Lord, not only just lift up the needs that they have all around our world, but also, Lord, uh, pledge our hearts to give uh, what we can uh, to the mission work that, that you're doing uh, to reach lost people and, and to reach areas that have never heard the name of Jesus. And Lord, just help us to, as a church to meet our goal, to, to get there. We set it kind of high, Lord, 
but we want to be challenged, and, and we know that, Lord, you've always been so good to help us uh, reach that goal and to accomplish the, that, that great work of missions. We pray for the service today. Just draw us close to you. We pray blessings upon our heart as, Lord, we just uh, get to look to you and uh, worship in your holy name. Amen.
opened my eyes to your wonders anew. You captured my heart with this love. There's nothing on earth is as beautiful as you. You opened my eyes to your wonders anew. You captured my heart with this love. There's nothing on earth is as beautiful as
we thank you that you loved us so much that you would choose to lay aside your glory, your splendor, your majesty, all that is yours, you laid aside and you came and you came to live among us, to die for us, to live a sinless life, to die for us and to be resurrected again on that third day, to be our intercessor forever. Uh, there is no other way to do that. And so we pray that for anyone that doesn't know you, as the new year begins, Lord, if they would call out to you, that allow you to save them today and start a new life. Everything's new under you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that promise that we have, and we want to tell you again, we love you, we thank you for dying for us, and we ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Take me to the king, I don't have much to bring, my heart is torn in pieces, it's my offering, take me to the king, truth is I'm tired, the options are trying to pray but where are you cause I'm all churched out hurt and abused I can't think what's left to do the truth is I'm with no strength to fight and no tears to cry even if I try but still my soul refuses to die Ooh, one touch will change my life and take me to the king I don't have much to bring my heart is torn in pieces but it's my offering lay me at the throne and leave me there alone to gaze upon your glory and sing to To stop playing these games And we need a word For the people's pain So Lord speak right now Let it fall like rain No, we're desperate We're chasing after you oh. No rules, no 
Thank you. I don't know about you, but I know I feel like I've been in the presence of God this morning. You take your Bible today and open to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 8. I'm excited about uh, the, the message this morning. This is, I think I've told you before, my favorite time of year to preach. And it goes back to really when I was a boy, I remember the old... Uh, what we call the old January Bible studies. Everybody in the church would uh, do a, a study. There would be one for the youth and there would be one for the kids and the adults. They would do it in the discipleship time. And, and my home pastor, where I grew up at First Jackson, often he would preach as well with the study that we were doing. And I would learn a great deal of uh, things that maybe I didn't know about God and things I didn't know about uh, the Word of God in that time where we were all kind of focused in together. Well, with so many studies and all the different material that's out there today, uh, churches have really kind of got away from that kind of approach of uh, old January Bible study. But as long as I have been in the ministry, I have preached starting in January what we call a sermon, winter sermon series or, or, or a focused study together. And through the years, we have been in a lot of different places. We preached through uh, Mark. I think that took us a year and a half, actually, to go through it. Uh, so it was actually a little longer than just a, a, a several weeks. But it was our focus. It went, like I say, a year and a half. We've gone through the book of Revelation and Genesis, Daniel. There's been several other books that we have preached through. 
Also, we have done some topics. We've done some family topics, and we have done some topics such as the fruits of the Spirit, and we've uh, looked at uh, other things uh, through the years together. But what I was thinking about where we needed to be this year and what our focus needed to be, and this being such a crazy last year, and I, I would also say from a Christian worldview standpoint that it seems as though Satan is kind of having his sway in the world today. Uh, the tide is sort of turned against uh, the church and against the, uh, the work of God and the word of God in which people are, are living today. So I just felt led to take a look at Satan himself. And so our study this year is that old ancient foe, our ancient foe, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the accuser, and all the other names that he goes by. And so I want to open up this morning thinking about who is Satan? Who is Satan? If you ask me what I'm most worried about in 2021, I would tell you it's not COVID, but it's the devil and the things that Satan can do if we're not on guard, if we're not prepared to stand against him. Listen to what Peter says, and if anybody knows the devil, uh, it would be Peter. I mean, we know the story of Peter, and actually we're going to look at Peter. Uh, and listen to what he says uh, to Christians in his letter. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary... And then he tells us who he had, that adversary is. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Months prior to December the 7th of 1941, the Japanese military had been secretly planning their attack on Pearl Harbor. One of the things that you may not know is that they actually had visited Hawaii. They had come to Hawaii. They had pretended to be uh, on holiday, but they were there to gather intel. They flew some clandestine missions over the islands. They took photos. They engaged in conversation with U.S. military personnel. And history tells us that they learned the patterns and they learned what typically went on on the Hawaiian Islands there uh, at Pearl Harbor. And their preparations paid off. Their reconnaissance uh, and their, their planning was impeccable. And they knew that they could catch the U.S. Uh, military and the island kind of unaware, uh, unexpecting the attack. They knew when we would be sleeping and unprepared. And they totally crippled the U.S. Pacific Fleet on December the 7th, 1941, and claimed 2,403 lives, American soldiers and civilians, in the process. Now, the reason I tell you that is because I want to say this to you, and I think it highlights where we're at this morning. No military commander could expect to be victorious in battle unless that military commander understands his enemy. 
Should a commander, for example, prepare to face an attack by land, but yet ignore the possibilities that the attack could come by air or by sea, it would be open to defeat. If a commander were to prepare for a land and sea attack and ignore the possibility that an attack may come by air, again, they would jeopardize winning the battle. And I want to say to you this morning that no individual can be victorious against the adversary of our souls if we are unprepared to face our adversary, if we don't understand our adversary, if we don't understand our adversary's philosophy and methods and ways of temptation. Unfortunately, I think there's very little discussion today in the church about Satan. There's very little said about Satan, preached about Satan in the pulpit today. Far too many Christians simply don't believe that Satan exists, and far too many preachers don't believe that Satan exists. And, and, and they kind of treat it as though, well, if I say something about Satan and act like he's a real person, the world's going to laugh at me. But I want to say to you, dear friend, the Bible makes it very clear from the beginning pages there in the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation that we have a very real adversary who is this individual we call Satan, the devil. Ignorance in war can get you killed. Ignorance in the spiritual battle can kill your relationship with God, your hope of eternal salvation in heaven. So I want to be very clear and tell you that we are at war. You and I are at war. You say, well, I'm not even a Christian. You're at war. You are on one side or the other. And whether or not you are active in what's going on in this cosmic battle we're going to be talking about, you are on one side or the other. And you're being used in one way or another by whichever side that you're on. As Christians, if we don't recognize that we are at war and we don't recognize the enemy, we, we really risk having defeat in this world in the way that, that God would give us victory if we understood the things that, that God wants us to know. Let me say to you too this morning that when I talk about our enemy, I'm not talking about a political enemy. I'm not talking about a philosophical enemy. I'm not talking about a cultural enemy. I'm not talking about things such as pornography or liquor or drugs or violence or perversion. I'm not talking about the enemy being abortion. I'm not talking about the enemy being any particular human being or person in this world. So who is the enemy? The enemy is the kingdom of evil. Just as there is a kingdom of God, there's a kingdom of evil. And at the very head of that kingdom of evil is this adversary, this evil one that we call Satan or the devil. Satan is that old ancient foe. And the same Satan that tempted Adam and Eve is the same Satan that is out today in our world looking to trip up and destroy the people of God. One of the reasons for this study is I want us to be informed. I want us to understand that we are not citizens of this world. 
We are citizens of another world. We are citizens of a heavenly world. And our mindset and our thought ought to be a heavenly mindset. That is, it is in tune with God. We need to realize that as we live out this life here, that we're living in enemy territory. I can promise you, if you lived in certain places in our world, as you are an American a person here in this world, that you would live quite differently. For example, if you lived in Iraq, or you lived in Iran, you would live probably a lot differently than you live here in Crockett County, Tennessee. Wouldn't you think? I don't know about you, but I don't know that I would be so open about my patriotism to America if I lived in Iran. I wouldn't necessarily be out there saying, hey, I'm an American. You know, God bless the USA and, you know, Lee Greenwood being playing in my house all the time. I, I think I'd probably be a little bit quiet because I would be worried about uh, what attack may come my way living in a hostile area that feels so hostile towards America. Dear friend, as Christians, we need to understand we live in, in hostile territory. And we need to understand that, that we have an adversary, an enemy that's out to get us. Now, don't buy into the picture that Satan is some kind of grotesque, hideous figure that is kind of caricatured during Halloween as that uh, devil in the uh, red suit with horns and a pitchfork. The Bible teaches us that Satan is really what we call metamorphic. In other words, Satan likes to appear subspecies bonum, or in other words, under the auspiciousness of good. Satan is, as he's introduced in Genesis, the most crafty and subtle uh, creatures that exist. He is the quintessential con artist. Uh, he has a way of camouflaging himself in this world and transforming himself in a way that is attractive, in a way that is luring and appealing to us to draw us in. Matter of fact, Satan's two most effective ploys are this. It is to get people to underestimate him so that he can lure them in to that hidden snare or it is to get people to somehow overestimate him so that they're so intimidated by him that they're threatened by his power uh, and they become paralyzed to do anything. I've actually talked to Christians who, uh, when they'll begin to talk about Satan, they'll say, Pastor, I, I so, I'm so worried about Satan and what he might do that I'll be honest, I'm afraid to really pray like I ought to pray or read my Bible like I ought to read or to be a witness like I ought to be because I don't want to stir him up and him attack me. I'm so afraid that I might lose my family, I might lose my job. I, I, don't, I know I couldn't handle the persecution that might come my way. And, and, and I've, I've basically had Christians tell me uh, in my pastoral ministry that, you know, they, they, they don't want to make waves. That they just, just kind of, you know, I, I'll stay in my place and Satan can stay in his place, but I don't want to push it because I don't want to face what he might throw at me. You know, that's the way it happens. Some don't really believe in him and they just underestimate him and some are paralyzed by him. I want to say, dear friend, that I think either of those extremes is not what we need to shoot for. I think we need to understand who he is. 
and what the Bible says about him, but also we don't need to be afraid of him and fearful of him. So let me give you three things today as I, I want to kind of pull back the curtains on our old foe, this ancient enemy, three things that if we were to say, if someone were to walk up to you and not only just ask who Jesus is, but if they were to say, well, who is this Satan that you talk about? Who is this Satan in the Bible? Well, let me give you three things that I think describe who he is as we begin to dig deeper into this thought. Number one, Satan is a dangerous foe. Be sober-minded, Peter says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I want to tell you without any stammer, without any stutter, without any equivocation, that Satan is real. If you were to ask Peter, is he real? He'd tell you, let me tell you, yes, he's real. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to Peter on one occasion, Peter... Satan has asked to sift you. And we're going to talk about that. You think about that. How, how Peter must have felt that gut punch to hear from Jesus that Satan has specifically asked about him, not some lesser demon, not some underling of Satan, but Satan himself the main dog, the main top guy of this kingdom of evil has talked about Peter by name and asked the Son of God if he can work his evil in his life. And Jesus goes on to tell Peter that he's allowed him and that he's going to be sifted. And in that, Jesus is saying to Peter, I believe in you. Now, that's a whole other conversation for another sermon but I want you to see he's real. Jesus spoke of him as real. Peter knew him as real. The devil's greatest trick is to convince this world he doesn't exist. Satan is the supreme deceiver, striving to rid our minds of his existence and to make us uh, believe that all that the Bible has to say about him is some sort of myth or legend or folklore or ancient story. But in our brave new world, we don't have to think about it. Dear friend, he is very much alive today, just as he is in the book of Genesis when he trips up Adam and Eve. What does the Bible tell us about Satan? Well, let me give you a few things here. His personality. Satan is the bitterest enemy of God and his people. Now, if you don't believe in the devil's existence, if you don't believe that he is real, then let me just put a challenge out there to you. Then start serving the Lord. I would challenge you to, to commit to a deeper prayer life. Upgrade your prayer life. Improve your Bible study and find out how quick Satan will begin to knock at your heart's door. And he'll do everything he can to keep you from getting on your knees and getting into the Word of God. You'll go to your prayer closet and you begin to pray and your nosy neighbor will be at your door. I wanted to come see you this morning. And, and the next thing you know, you've quit praying and you've talked to your nosy neighbor and they've left and you're in a horrible mood and you're not in, a, in, in the mood to pray anymore. Satan is that kind of individual. You just start wanting to, to put God first. He's going to come and he's, he, he's going he's to begin to work in your life. I, I like what Dr. Rogers used to say. He said, we're usually in one of two places when it comes to Satan. We're either in collusion with him or we're in a collision with him. 
And if you've not collided with Satan, it's probably because you're going in the same direction he wants you to go in. So have you collided with him? You'll find out he's real in his personality. Satan is consistent in representing the Word of God, uh, uh, in, in the Word of God being represented as a personal in, uh, entity. Think about the names that the Bible gives us. He's called the devil, the deceiver, the destroyer, the liar, the murderer, the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, the father of lies, the God, little g, of this world, the rooter of the, uh, this world, and the prince of the power of the air. All these are names that he's given. Listen to what Paul says about Satan in Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, little s, not the Holy Spirit, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What Paul's talking about there is that Satan is a very real person. There's the personhood of Satan. There's the personality of Satan. I'll tell you, Satan, not only uh, we know he's real by his personality, but we know he's real by his position. The Bible tells us at this present moment that Satan holds a very powerful position. He is called the God of this world or this age, little g. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. At one time, Satan was called Lucifer. That name that God had given him. And that name means son of the morning. Who was Satan before he fell? He was God's most glorious angel that had ever been created. Heaven, heaven itself, the throne room of God that, that Lauren was singing about, that was the very dwelling place of Satan, of Lucifer, this angel. He served God as an archangel. Lucifer was not some lesser order of angels. Listen, he was one of the few angels of cherubs, uh, uh, you could almost think of, that actually had access to the throne of God. He was one of the few that God created that could actually look upon holy God. He was one of the few that could actually voice praise unto the Lord and express thanksgiving and adoration and worship before the holy God of this world. At one time, Lucifer was holy, blameless. He held the greatest privilege that had ever been given to any angel in heaven, the privilege of passing on all of the praise that this world and all other worlds or any other realms would have in, in creation to pass it on directly to God. You ever, you know, want to get a note to somebody, you know, and they were kind of one of these individuals either you were a little intimidated by or maybe you were, uh, uh, didn't really run in their circles. They were maybe just a little bit uh, hard to get to because of their position or something. And yet you knew somebody that knew them. And so you, maybe you wrote a note and you gave it to them and they were able to hand that note directly to the person you wanted to get that note to? That was, that was Lucifer. He was able to take the very praise of this universe and directly hand it to God himself. It was a privileged class 
of angels, and he was the top dog of that privileged class. And he had been given that privilege by divine appointment from God himself. Ezekiel makes a, probably the best picture. We're going to look at this chapter a little later together in our series. But Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 15, listen to what the prophet says. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, we'll talk about it, but just so you know, that when he talks about the king of Tyre here, he's not talking about the physical king of Tyre, the, the man. He's talking about the power behind the throne, and it's actually a discussion about Satan himself. Now, listen to what the prophet says. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. That's one reason we know it's not the king of Tyre, literally, because the king of Tyre wasn't in Eden. But now Satan was, wasn't he? The garden of God. And then he says, every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the craftedness in gold, were your settings and your engravings. And then he says, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub, uh, a guardian cherub. I placed you and you were in the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till, Ezekiel says, unrighteousness was found in you. Now when you read through that verse, those verses, you see a beautiful array of colors. You see a beautiful rainbow, a rainbow of brilliance. Now, keep in mind that no gemstone has any light of its own, does it? If you, were to, if you were to take a diamond and you were to put that diamond in a dark room, what would be its luster? It'd just be dark, wouldn't it? In order for that diamond to shine, there has to be a light. What made Satan shine or Lucifer shine so bright? The glory of God. But listen. When he was removed from the glory of God, the beauty went out. There is no beauty in and of itself. It just reflects the light. When God created Lucifer, God created him with the capacity to reflect the glory of God to a greater degree than any other created creature had ever known before. You ever thought about that? I listened to Lauren sing this morning. I thought... I wish I had that gift. Now, I wish I had that gift not so that people would pat me on the back, but I wish I had that gift that I could sing with such beauty for my God. Oh, you know, we, we, we see gifts that others have, and we, we think, well, it would be nice to have that gift. Lucifer had that gift, and beyond that gift. All of the beauty that was seen in the highest angelic being was his. There was not a beauty that was innate and of its own, though. It was all a reflective beauty. God in his holiness was the light that made Lucifer radiate and shine to his glory. Now, it could be said that Lucifer was perfect in beauty, for no creature so fully reflected the glory of God. Now, you might wonder why does this even matter why does it matter that i understand who he was and what he has become well i'm convinced that unless we grasp how the devil fits into god's scheme of things 
that we'll never understand Satan's conspiracy against God and the people of God. How we perceive Satan, our enemy, also largely determines how we perceive God, our Heavenly Father. And I want to say that while we're looking at Satan, the study is not about Satan, it's about God, our Father. You see, only when we stand in awe of God can we truly understand the devil. And so while we're looking at Satan, we're really talking about God's power. We're really talking about God's program. We're really talking about God's purpose in this world. And here's one of the things in, in my early study that I, that I have kind of garnered and, and, and learned is that really looking at Satan has given me a more beautiful picture of God. And the greater we see God, the smaller we see the devil. And that's our aim. You know, he doesn't frighten us. He doesn't paralyze us. Now, not only was Satan perfect in his ways, but according to Ezekiel, he had the full epitome of wisdom and understanding. Listen to verse 14. You were the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you where, uh, where you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, what happened? What happened? Here is this beautiful glorious created creature this this creature who is chief of all that god has created not only in beauty but in wisdom so what happened well isaiah 14 verses 12 through 14 tell us isaiah says how uh, you have fallen from heaven O day star there you are there's a name for lucifer right there son of dawn how you are cut down to the ground how you laid the nations low what did you do? He said, Isaiah says, here's what Satan did. He said, I will ascend to the heavens above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mountain of the assembly of the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. There are five I wills in that statement. But basically Satan said this, I will be like God. His heart was so lifted up with pride that, that he thought that he himself could remove God and take his place. No sooner was that challenge uttered than the thunder of God's wrath rolled down through the corridors of heaven. And Lucifer, the son of morning, became Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the prince of this world think about it I, one of the things i was i was reading about that I had never thought about in in some preliminary study was you know up until this point satan or lucifer only knew god in one way an all loving gracious god up until this point there was there had not been any need or any reason for god to have wrath or for god to show judgment i mean i, I think it came as a shock to satan to discover that, you know, when you sin, you're going to find the wrath of God. It was almost like it, he just never even thought about it. I mean, because as soon as he sinned against God and rebelled, his, his doom was written. His end was written. His, uh, his defeat was, was solidified. Now, what we know after that is this, that, that 
one-third of the angels went with him. None of those angels had ever known the wrath of God or the holy judgment of God. It must have come as a great shock to them. Those angels that, that went with Satan, we call them demons today. We're going to be talking about them in a little bit uh, later messages as well. Now, this needs to be pointed out. It's, it's an important point, it's a, but there's some big questions. In this act of rebellion, we encounter what we call a theological puzzle, and it has taxed the best minds for centuries. And so let me give you three questions here. How can an unrighteous choice arise out of the heart of a righteous being? How can an unrighteous choice arise out of the heart of a righteous being? If Lucifer was so perfect in how God created him, then how could he have ever messed up? How can a perfect being do something wrong then? It is a question for our theological minds. Second, even more to the point, why would a perfect creature become dissatisfied in a perfect world? I mean, he had it all, didn't he? I mean, you hear people today, well, if we could just make the world a better place, people would be better. I mean, there couldn't have been a better environment for Satan to exist in as Lucifer than right there with God the Father. So why did he rebel? And here's the third question. Satan was a being who evidently was fulfilled in serving God. If he was satisfied, then why rebel? His purpose, his purpose in living, his purpose in existing was to give God glory. He was at the chief pinnacle point of that. If he was being fulfilled in that part, why rebel? Those are questions that I don't know that we'll ever have an answer for in this life. Perhaps it's part of the story that that, that we need to try to grapple with to understand Lucifer and what happened. Now, let me say, Lucifer was not coerced by God or other angels to do what he did. But we're still left with a puzzle. Why would such a creature want to defy God? Even if he has free will, which is the answer theologians give, we still don't understand why he exercised that option. I mean, just because you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily will do something. I mean, you ever walked by a hot stove or a fire and said, man, that, that, that's hot, that's putting off heat. If I stick my hand in there, I'll burn myself. I mean, in your mind, you're what? You know, I could do that, but I'm not going to do it because I know it's going to hurt if I do. Satan had free will, but he also had perfect wisdom. He had to know that if he sinned against God, it wasn't going to end well. I mean, he had to know better than you and I know the, the, the power of Almighty God. He had seen him create out of nothing. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, God didn't have to pull material together to create stuff. He just created material out of nothing to create things. Now, the best answer is maybe that there's no answer. I want to say... I want to say this, and I'll just leave it here for, the, for today. My personal thought is that God knew these things. God allowed these things to happen with Satan because God is wanting to give man and all of creation a lesson. And we're going to talk about that in Isaiah and Ezekiel. 
I'll put it to you this way. I've had people say, well, Brother Chris, how do I know I won't mess up when I get to heaven? How, will, how, how, will, how, how can I have assurance that I won't get up there and somehow mess up like Satan messed up? Because I think that what's going to happen, not only are we going to be so recreated in Christ, so like Christ in the recreation of who we are in eternity, but I also believe, and we'll look at it in Isaiah, that forever and forever there will be a living example of how stupid it was to go against God. The Bible says we'll look down, we'll scratch our chins, and we'll say, is this the one that made the world to tremble? In other words, we're going to see what happens to people who defy God. And there will be such a lesson written on our hearts and minds that it won't even be a temptation. It didn't turn out good for him. Why would I go down that road? You ever learn any life lessons? And, and, you, and you know, you don't have to do those things to know that it's not a smart idea to do them. I mean, you see an example. Knew a fellow one time. You know, he was a young guy, and he was being tempted to, to run around and drink with his buddies in school. And then he, he uh, one day was coming home, and there was a, a, a horrible wreck, and uh, it, it had involved alcohol, and he had had to get out and help this family that had been mangled up in a car. And, and I won't forget, he, he shared later in the youth, he said, I used to think I wanted to drink with my buddies. But he said, after I saw that, I don't, I don't have any desire anymore. When I saw the hurt and the damage and, and the pain, he said, that, that just removed all temptation to drink, and let alone drink and drive. It was a lesson learned. I think God's doing that. And that's my own personal thought. That's, that's not even in the notes today, but that, you, you got a little extra. But let me just say, until then, we, we'll, we, until we get to heaven, we won't really know. But what we do know is he failed to grasp that even if he were motivated by self-interest, obedience to God would still be best. Think about it. Satan didn't understand that if he really wanted the best for himself, the best thing he could do was what? To be obedient to God. To put it differently, God's best for him and his best for himself were one and the same. I'm saying that and you're not catching me. Because you and I, we both struggle with the same thing. God will say something to us that he knows is best for us, but yet we disagree with him because we don't want to go down that road. But the truth of the matter is what God wants for us is always what's best for us. And we, we really want what's best for us because we are all self-interested in ourselves. And if we really want what's best for us, it never goes against what God wants for us. And Satan couldn't get there. Because he was selfish. His purpose tells us he's real. This may come as a bit of surprise to you, but Satan's purpose isn't what you think it might be. This was a little bit of a shock to me. I was reading uh, Linda Rios' book, Lucifer's War. I want to give you a quote from it. Listen to what she says. So is Satan's goal to see humans burn in hell? Probably not. If by that we mean he has some interest in whatever happens to people after their ex earthly existence is over. Whatever one's theology of heaven and hell, humans are of no benefit to the father of lies after they die, which is why he didn't try to kill Adam and Eve. A popular misconception is that Satan rules in hell, where lost souls serve him in never-ending agony. 
While Michelangelo and Dante uh, might have had such a vision, the writers of the Bible did not. Scripture does not support the notion that lost souls will worship and serve Satan after death. Whatever reality hell may be, now listen to this, this is the main sentence. Satan is sentenced there as a prisoner himself and not as a ruler. His interest in people is limited to what they can help him accomplish only while they're on earth because after that they really don't have any value to him after death. That was a powerful statement. I had to think about that for a while. I had not ever thought about that. So Satan's ambitions may not be what we think they are. His holy ambition then would be simply to pull God down from the throne and he does that here on earth. To literally overthrow God, to revolt against God. And listen, I think one of the things that we're going to get when we go through this study together is that, believe it or not, Satan actually thinks he can win the war. But understand this, Satan is, all the chips are in on the poker table. He has taken the gamble. There's no turning back. There's no, you know what, I think I'm going to just play it safe. No, he's all in now. He is all in to win. He's given it his best effort. And so when we talk about Satan being a dangerous foe, that he is a real, he is real, we're talking about a, 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 someone who has a personality, a position, a purpose, and a plan. His plan is to deceive. That's his chief weapon. That's his uh, uh, modus operandi. It, it has been since the Garden of Eden. He, Satan wants to keep sinners from hearing the gospel. And two, Satan wants to keep sa uh, saints from living the gospel. And so I want you to see that he is a real, he's a real dude. And he is a dangerous dude. And it's one that we need to understand and we need to, to be aware of as we live out our life for Christ on earth. Now, second thing, quickly, Satan is a destructive foe. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, deliver us from evil. That in and of itself ought to tell you that he is a dangerous and destructive dude. I want to tell you that with every fiber of my being, I believe that we're living in the last days. I believe that, that, that we are in that time close to Revelation, the last days. And the Bible says in the last days, there's going to be a resurgence of demonic power. Someone had said to me a few months ago, Brother Chris, with all that's going on in the world, I think you really ought to be preaching on revelation and, and, and Bible prophecy. And I had thought about that and prayed about that, but that, in that prayer and in that thought, I got led to, to, to go here because I, I think the real concern isn't what the book of Revelation tells us. I think we'll be, as a church and as the ch uh, children of God, raptured out before we have to get into the real bad things. But, but we do right now have an enemy that is at work in this world to destroy civilization as we know it, to, to put God to death in whatever way he can. Revelation 9, 21 says uh, uh, about uh, that period of great uh, tribulation, what the world is going to be like. He says, they did not repent for their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The big four things uh, of evil in the tribulation is murder. I mean, we have become a murderous society. Our cities have become some of the most violent places 
on, on, a, on planet Earth. I mean, and, and you know one of the most, you know one of the most dangerous places to exist today? I mean, one of the most dangerous places to exist today? The mother's womb. The abortion numbers in our land, the violence in our street, we are living a murderous day, and it's not going to get better. Sorcery, that, that Greek word there in Revelation is the word pharmakia. It means to, to be an enchanter with drugs. We have drug epidemics all across our nation. Opioids that flood our street. Many of the drugs pouring in from countries like China, they support and fund drugs into our nation to weaken our nation. Fornication. Satan is a destructive force in, in sexual sins. I mean, there's all kinds of sexual perversion out there today. And, and it's being pushed upon us to accept it as mainstream and acceptable. Thievery. Graft, greed, corruption, and bribery. I'll give you another name for that. The U.S. Congress and Senate. I mean, do we really have any belief that there's people in our leadership in our own nation today that, that aren't just absolutely corrupt with graft, greed, and corruption that anybody can be bought for any price? The little guy seems to have lost the moral code as well. Why be trustworthy? Why be honest? You lose in the end. Satan's a destructive force. And if you don't believe it, pick up your newspaper and read it. Turn on your news and watch it. It doesn't matter which news channel you go to, you're going to see destruction on, on all of them. You're going to see how Satan's at work doing his best to uh, destroy civilization as we know it. But there's one other thing about who is Satan that you need to know. And that is this, Satan is a defeated foe. He's defeated. Not he's going to be defeated, he's defeated already. Let me finish with a, one more great quote from Erwin uh, uh, Lutzer's book, uh, God's Devil. It's a little lengthy, but it's really good. There was a shuffle, a scuffle, as the serpent thrashed about his fangs upright, hissing at his appointment. As the loathsome beast lay gasping, it attempted to strike, but it could only nip the heel of the foot that had stepped on its head. When the frenzy was over, the head of the serpent lay crushed, pounded into the hard dirt, its body throbbing with pain. While drops of its poison lay spit on the ground, the victor returned to heaven in triumph. At last, Christ was here. Centuries earlier, God had said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise, uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. God had made good on his word. When Christ was born in Bethlehem, Satan's first strategy was to kill him. Wicked King Herod tried to carry out that diabolical deed. But Mary and Joseph took the baby to Egypt, and the plan was foiled. If he could not kill Christ, then he would corrupt him. 
And there in the desert, Christ had to prove that he would not bow to satanic temptation. Try as he might, Satan could not convince Christ to take a shortcut to become the rightful ruler of this world. Not even Peter was able to pressure Christ into choosing life rather than death in Jerusalem. For Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Mark 8, 33. Once Satan saw that Christ was headed towards Jerusalem, he stopped trying to prevent the cross and chose instead to become a key player in the drama. The reason for the switch of tactics is not difficult to understand. If Christ was going to the cross, then Satan, the serpent, wanted to have the satisfaction of knowing that at least he had a part in it. And so his sadistic delight in seeing Christ hang there helplessly between heaven and earth, though fleeting, was a temptation that even the old serpent couldn't resist. Yes, he knew his judgment would be greater. Yes, he knew that the cross would mean eventually his defeat. But that was tomorrow. For today, he would inspire men to kill the Lord's Christ, no matter how illusionary the victory was. He is a defeated foe. And when Christ cried out on Calvary's cross, it is finished. It was the victory cry over the old serpent. When Christ came to this earth, he immediately began to exercise power upon Satan and his demons. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, and he cast out those demons. Demons could not withstand his divine power. Demons could not stand his divine presence. When, when Jesus went to the cross for our sins, Satan rejoiced because he thought maybe he had defeated God. But on that third day, he rose again. And he came out of that graveyard. He came out of that tomb alive. The cross of Christ means that you and I are not fighting for victory today. We're fighting from victory. We fight for victory or uh, from victory that Christ has given us. That, that, that Paul tells us about in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. The Bible tells us Jesus came into this world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1, 15. And our, our mission today, our job today as children of God, as the church, the bride of Christ, is to see sinners come to Christ, to give their heart to Him. Let me just say, as I close this message, in order for Jesus to save people from their sins, Matthew 1, 21 and in order for Christ to defeat that power of darkness and the devices of Satan, they must come to a place of surrender. Jesus is the good news. And the good news is victory has been assured. But we must choose Jesus. We must exercise our free will in Christ. Let me say that today you can join the winning side. You could be in the club of champions. But it requires that you surrender to Jesus. That you give Christ your heart, your mind. You make confession of your sin. Listen, to refuse Jesus is to surrender to Satan instead. You're going to be on one team or the other. You can surrender to Satan and lose or you can surrender to Christ and win. Every man, woman, boy, and girl are in the fight. We all belong to one side or the other. Which team will we choose? That's why the message today, that's why 
our, our, our invitation is always the same. Come to Jesus. I woke early this morning. I think in part because God just had this message on my soul and I could not, could not go back to sleep. So I got up around 4 o'clock. I reviewed the message, prayed and went over it. and I, I was excited about it. And, and I noticed on my desk there were two books that, that you as a church had given me years ago. Adrianisms as the title of the book and it's little sayings that Dr. Rogers always said two books and I opened up one of those books and I was looking in it and there was a section on sin and temptation and Satan and there are two quotes I want to give you that come from Dr. Rogers two messages one to the Christian and one to those who are lost to the Christian you can say that you're not afraid of Satan but let me ask you the question, is Satan afraid of you? Who is Satan? He is a defeated foe. Are you living a life that reminds him he's defeated and he didn't win the battle and he hadn't won, he hadn't won the war? If you're lost, Dr. Rogers said this, Satan rules a doomed domain. And sells a sinking ship. Why do you want to follow a loser? If you're lost, why would you want to choose Satan? Arms wide, Christ said you could come to the victor. To the club of champions. To the one that holds eternal life that's worth living. And all that's required is that you come to that throne of grace. And you let him love you the way only God can love you. You let God forgive you the only way that you can ever feel good about your sins and the way that God deals with them. The Bible says he forgives, he cleanses, he washes away our sins. There's not one sin that can keep you from the love of God except the sin of pride. That's what made the devil the devil. And what will send you to hell, dear friend, is not Satan. It's you and pride. There's a divine lesson to learn. To deny God doesn't get you what you want. Doesn't get you what you need. What's best for you is what God wants for you. And what God wants for you is to come to Jesus. Heavenly Father, this morning, we pray for whoever's listening, whoever uh, has been watching the, the message online, and, and Lord, whoever will watch in the days ahead. Lord, if there's someone there that says, I'm lost, I know I'm not saved, I know I've been going in the same direction as Satan, and I don't want to be on the losing team anymore. That today they, they would come to you, Jesus. And in this simple prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and be my Lord and Savior. In that prayer, they are now saved. They pray that prayer in faith. They surrender to you. They are a child of the King. They are on the the championship roster. And Lord, today, if there's a Christian
They've been saved, but yet they've been going in the direction of Satan. That there's no collision and too much collusion in their life. Lord, I pray there could come a renewal. There are times and seasons where we all need to re refresh ourselves. And the beginning of a year is, is, is a great place to say in 2021, I'm going to live more for you, Jesus, than I've ever lived for you before. I'm going to surrender more to you, Jesus, than I've ever surrendered before. That's our prayer today as we close this message. In your mighty name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.